All right, Matthew 10, verse 39. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. I want to speak to you today on the subject, the biggest loser. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we're asking you to touch us today. We're praying that the Spirit of God would speak to us in, by, and through your word. Because, Lord, we realize, dear God, that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God is going to abide forever. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise, would you? Amen. I don't know if you remember this, but I, uh, there was a little uh, comic strip that would come out in the, in the Sunday papers called The Born Loser. Anybody remember The Born Loser? And he would uh, he just, just every time you turned around, he was having some mishap happen to him. Even when it looked like good things were go about to happen some way or another, uh, it looked like Murphy's Law would triumph, and if anything bad could happen, it did happen to him. I, I can't help but to, to bring it, you know, down to, 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 to sports. Uh, if my family ever walks in and I'm watching a ball game on TV and they say, Daddy, uh, which team are you going for? I said, well, look at the scoreboard. You see who's losing? Anytime you walk in and you see me watching the ball game, just see who's losing. That's nine times out of ten, that's the one I'm going for. And one of the reasons is, is because I go for the underdog. So if, I, if it's not my team and I'm watching a team, I automatically root for the underdog. So, of course, most of the time, the team I go for is going to lose because they're expected to lose. But it does feel that way. People ask me sometime if I go, I go golfing. And I say, no, I've never played golf. I've been out there, but I'm not sure what you call me, what I do playing golf. I am the world's worst golfer, and I'm going to tell you, it tests my, not only my sanctification, but my self-image when I go golfing because I'm so bad at it. And then I don't know if you remember, but from 2004 to 2016, NBC had a, had a show that was a weight loss show that obviously I didn't go on that was called The Biggest Loser. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm not always good at winning in, in life, but I can lose with the best of them. But for all of those out there that feel like we're losers, I've got good news for you. The Lord re rewards losers. God puts a high premium on losers. Now, I know we've got so many, so many people nowadays that... that um, uh, preachers that preach this way and people that follow preachers like this message. And the popular message is to be a winner. It's how God always makes us a winner. It's how, how you can be a winner in life, how you can win in life. And in its context, there's, that's a positive message. But I want you to know God also has some good things for us losers. My Aunt Eva Carver, who was a, a woman pastor, a Pentecostal pioneer, uh, she used to love to quote uh, this old song. And I, did, I didn't know the song. I looked it up. Maybe some of you remember the song. But I would hear her testify and say, Lord, let me lose myself and find it, Lord, in thee. 
I don't know if you know this old song, but, but listen to the words of it. Many years I searched for rest, perfect peace within my breast, and I often sought the Lord alone in tears, but I could not pay the price, would not make the sacrifice, so I wandered on and on for many years. Then one day I knelt in prayer. Jesus whispered to me there, take your cross and follow me to Calvary. Oh, how sad it was to die and all self to crucify just to lose myself and find it, Lord, in thee. Let me lose myself and find it, Lord, in thee. May all self be slain, my friends, see only thee. Though it cost me grief and pain, I will find my life again if I lose myself and find it, Lord, in thee. The Lord has called on us to be losers. Jesus said those that seek to save their life, those that seek to preserve their life will lose it. But those that willingly lose their lives will save it. So we have to learn how to lose. Now my brother Barry, when we were growing up, was a very poor loser and he was a worst winner, okay? When he lost, he acted ugly, and when he won, he acted uglier still. He'd rub it in, in your face. I mean, he was not a good loser or a good winner, either one. We have to learn how to be gracious losers. Uh, Nikos Kazantzakis was, is a philosopher who wrote a lot of famous uh, books. Uh, he, when he was a young man, he went... Uh, to in Greece, he went to a monastery to find the secret to life, and there he found an old priest that his name was translated Father Happy, Father Macario's Father Happy, and he had such peace. And kind of in a flippant way, uh, Nikos asked him, "said Father, do you still wrestle with the devil?" He said, "No, son. Said I'm too old and tired, and the devil's too old and tired for us to wrestle anymore." And then he said, well, who then uh, do you wrestle? He said, ah, son, I wrestle with God. He said, well, Father, certainly you don't hope to win. He said, ah, no, I hope to lose. I hope to lose. You know, Jacob wrestled with God and prevailed, but how many knows he really lost, right? The angel touched his thigh and the thigh went out of, out of joint. He really didn't prevail. God really prevailed over him. Uh, Nikos Kazantzakis went on to ask the father, he said, yours is a hard life, and I too want to be saved. Is there no other way? And the father asked him, said, you mean a more agreeable way? He said, well, a more human way. He said, one, there's only one. He said, what is that? He said, to ascend, to climb a series of steps from full stomach to hunger." from a slake throat to thirst, from joy to suffering. He said, God sits at the summit of hunger, thirst, and suffering, but the devil sits at the summit of the comfortable life, so you have to choose. Nico said, well, I'm still young and the world is nice. I have time to choose. And reaching out uh, a hand and touching Nikos's knee, he said, wake up, my child. Wake up before death wakes you up. The truth of the matter is, and though, even though we don't like to hear it, God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom to the world's kingdom. At the world's kingdom, you try to be at the top of the mountain. 
the top of the heap, the king of the mountain. You're trying to send the pyramid to the top. That's not the way the Lord's kingdom is, is it? Is it? Jesus said, you know, the first are going to be last, and the last are going to be first. He said, let the greatest among you be the servant of all. It's an upside-down kingdom. To live, you have to die. To receive, you have to give. This is an upside-down kingdom. Even listen at what some consider the constitution to the kingdom of God, the Sermon on the Mount. And the most famous portion of the Sermon on the Mount is the Beatitudes, which really can be defined as the, as the joyful attitudes, the be happy attitudes. That's what it means. It's, it's the life that results in joy. Listen at all the loss that is contained in those Beatitudes. This is Matthew 5, starting in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That doesn't sound right, does it? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the, is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Does that sound like winning at life? Does that sound like the way to joy to you and I? No. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. That's not the way the world works, is it? The world works dog eat dog. The world works the survival of the fittest. You know, even in the United States, the very first motto that we had in the United States was not in God we trust. The very first motto we had was don't tread on me. Right? We still have that attitude about us. But he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who never let anybody get advantage of them. No, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you, they revile you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's an upside-down kingdom. In fact, the things that are often virtues in life are actually vices in God's kingdom. And the attitudes that are considered vices in life are actually virtues in God's kingdom. Ambition, the desire for success, the win at all costs, that's the way the world works. That's not the way the kingdom works. God is calling on us to lose. Sometimes he calls on us, well, this is a tough one. You ready? He calls on us to lose our money. How many of you have ever been in need and you were walking along in a Walmart parking lot and looked down and there was a $20 bill there? And you snatched that thing up and you said, boy, thank God. Praise the Lord, right? Guess what? It was God's will for somebody to lose a $20 bill if it was God's will for you to find it. Right? So the next time you get in Walmart and reach your hand in your pocket and you can't find that 20, you say, praise God, God just answered somebody's prayer. 
right? We want to be on the winning side. We don't like to be on the losing side. So sometimes God causes us to lose our money. Listen to this. And I'm, re- I'm going to read a lot of scripture to you. But I think, you know, I think we need to get back to have a little bit more scripture in preaching. <laughs> Amen. Luke 18 through 30. Luke 18, verses 18 through 30. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good but, but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I've kept from my youth up. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still like one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, see, we've left all and followed you. And he said to them, assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who has left houses or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come, eternal life. Now, I've said this often, but when we read this story, we almost always have the need to try to make excuses for what Jesus asked this, this guy to do. We try, we, try to, we try to somehow justify why Jesus was so harsh with this man to ask him to give away all that he had. In fact, the reason we want to justify that is because we're a little bit afraid that Jesus will ask us to do that. And, and so, how many times have you heard this said, and, and, and the preacher will say, now, he doesn't ask everybody to do that, right? We just want you to know he don't ask everybody to do that. And he doesn't ask everybody to do that. But listen at what was offered here. Jesus was not offering him a bad bargain. He wasn't saying, sell all that you have, and you're going to be left with nothing. He said, sell all that you have, so that you can get free from those responsibilities, so you have the freedom to come and follow me. Now, which one of us as Christ's followers would not have wanted to see him walk on water or open blinded eyes or multiply the loaves and the fishes or to sit and hear him teaching on the Sermon on the Mount? Or to go to the empty tomb and see him resurrected. I mean, wouldn't you want the opportunity if Jesus were alive today in the flesh, he is alive in heaven and uh, in, his, in his flesh, in his resurrected body, but if he were alive on the earth today, walking on the earth today in his physical body, wouldn't you want to like be with Jesus? Right? This man got offered that. This was a bargain, but he could not let go of what was in his hand in order to receive what was in God's hand. And even today when we read this, we look at the loss instead of the gain. Even today we say, oh, that's such a hard thing. It was a generous offer. 
Get rid of all that you have so you can have me. That's not, that's not losing. You remember, somebody said this, said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to receive what he cannot lose. Now, this is, a, this is an odd one for a preacher to say. Sometimes the Lord asks ask us to lose our religion. <laughs> now, when I'm out there golfing, Wendell, or trying to, I'm tempted sometimes to lose my religion. <laughs> you ever heard somebody say that when they got aggravated? I'm about to lose my religion. Well, I, my answer to that is good. Now, I'm not talking about pure religion that's undefiled. I'm not talking about to keep yourself unspotted from the world and care for widows and orphans. I'm not talking about religion in that, in that uh, positive way. I'm talking about self-righteous religion. I think probably self-righteousness is perhaps the darkest, blackest sin that humans commit. And there's a lot of really terrible, immoral sins but there's not any, any immorality that a person cannot be forgiven of if they, if they recognize it, repent of it, and call on God to save them in the name of Jesus. But the self-righteous cannot be saved. And they cannot be saved because they never see the need to be saved. Because they think they're already righteous. So listen to the Apostle Paul. I know you've heard these scriptures. I've talked about them many times. I'm not going to do a whole lot of explanation of them. I just want you to listen to them. This is Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 4. Paul said, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish. I won't, I won't tell you what he really said there. Rubbish is a very mild word compared to what he really said there. That I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is in God, uh, in, from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed uh, to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. He said all of those religious accolades that were gained to me, I count them as rubbish. I count them as, as, as uh, the off-scurring of, of, uh, of humanity, as dung, refuse. I ask this question to people, and I'm surprised sometimes at the answer that I get. I ask people, would you rather be right and everybody else think you're wrong, or be wrong and everybody else think you're right? And it's amazing the people that would say, well, I think I'd rather everybody else think I'm right. Right? Well, that speaks to the pride that we have. 
The fact of the matter, I'm convinced that probably in most churches, and this is just you know, a subjective statement, but I'm convinced that in most churches, and most people in most churches, that people are much more concerned with what other people think about them than they are with what, how they really stand before God. And if you're going to be righteous, can I tell you that one of the things you're going to have to get comfortable with is being misunderstood sometimes. Jesus was condemned to death by the Sanhedrin. He was God in the flesh and he was condemned for blaspheming against God. He said, well, he set them straight. No, like a sheep before her shears was dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He said very little. Very little did he say. He could have called tens of thousands of angels to prove who he was. But instead he died in open shame on a cross. Condemned for crimes he didn't commit. You got to be willing to suffer that. Now boy, though this one's hard. Especially in the light of, of some of the things that have happened recently to those that we love. Sometimes the Lord calls on us to lose our family. Listen to Luke, 20, uh, Luke 14, 25 through 33, and then I'm going to go to Matthew 10, uh, 34 through 38. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. Whosoever... Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he's laid the foundation is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with ten thousands to meet him who comes out against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, what if I gave an altar call like that? You know, Jesus didn't know how to give a very effective altar call, did he? I mean, there's no promises here of health, wealth. There's no promise of come to me and you're not going, all your problems are going to be over. He, there's no promise here of all of, the, all of the things that we say. You know, there's, there's no, I know in life, you know, you're not, you're not happy right now, but if you'll come to Jesus, you'll be happy. Right? There's none of this. Jesus just right up front said, you're going to be my disciple. It's going to be pretty rough. going to be pretty tough. There's going to be some loss involved. Now, I don't know that if we gave all the calls like that, that we would increase the quantity of converts. But I'm convinced that we would increase the quality of converts. I think a lot of these people that weep their way through to feeling a lot better, and then about two weeks later, they're gone and in the wind. I think you'd cut down on a lot of that if we say, let me tell you what you're really getting before you come, count the cost. 
Some of you will remember a guy by the name of Stuart Hamlin. He was a great songwriter. In fact, I think, I think it was one of his songs that I closed out Sunday night with. He also wrote that great song, It Is No Secret What God Can Do. He was, he was a famous, he was friends with John Wayne. He was a famous disc jockey in L.A. and um, knew, a lot of, knew a lot of people uh, in the entertainment business. And he uh, went one night to the crusade that got Billy Graham, put Billy Graham on the map, uh, map 1949 Los Angeles. He went and got under conviction. And later on that night, he showed up at Billy Graham's hotel room and knocked on his door and said, you've got to help me. The Lord's dealing with me. I've got, you've got to help me. And Billy Graham looked at him and said, ain't none of my business. This is between you and God. And he got gloriously saved. And it changed, it changed his life. Listen. No amount of tears can ever bring our salvation. I don't mean, I'm not talking about what we have to do. I am saying we need to realize that when we come to Jesus, we're not just taking him on as our Savior. We're taking him on as our Lord. That's the deal. When he shed his blood, he didn't just shed his blood to purchase our sins. When he shed his blood, he purchased us. We're his property. Listen to what he said, and this makes the, Matthew 10, uh, 34 through 38, kind of brings some, some commentary to the first part of Luke, where he says, hate your mother and father. Listen to what he says, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So when Jesus is saying, hate your mother and father, he's not, he's not saying that he wants us to hate anybody in, the, in that sense. We're, to, we're not even to hate our enemies. We're to love our enemies, certainly love our own household. But he says this, if it comes to a choice... If they're pressuring you to deny, if they're pressuring you to give up, you've got to choose me. You've got to be willing to suffer that loss. I have known men of God that preached the gospel faithfully and had spouses that said, if you're going to do that, I'm gone. And as much as it broke their heart, they had to say, you're going to have to make your decision, but I've got to preach the gospel. I've, I've known of children that had to go to church and serve the Lord over the objection and the abuse of their parents. So many of us here, maybe all of us, I don't know, we, we were so blessed to have parents that led us in the way. But did you know there are people that have to battle to get to the house of God? That it's a choice that they make Sometimes it causes us to lose, calls on us to lose our family. Sometimes it calls on us, boy, this is a shouting message. <laughs> Sometimes it calls on us to lose our life. Again, our text, he who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. 
Matthew 16, 24 through 26, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You say, you may think, well, come on, there, there's, you're setting us up. There's got to be a catch somewhere. Let me tell you what the catch is. It's that this thing that we're in is an eternal thing that is not judged by the temporary losses sustained in this world, in this life. If you take away the reward that is waiting on the other side, it will make no sense. But God has an eternal perspective and he calls on us to keep that eternal perspective in mind. And we're so in tune. Now I know, I know, and I'm, and listen, I still believe that Christians ought to be moderate in their lifestyle. I think Christians ought to be moderate in their dress. I think they ought to be moderate when it comes to uh, even kind of the cars that they drive and the houses that they live in. I think they ought to be modest in styles of dress. I, I don't, sometimes I'll see pictures on Facebook of, of, of preacher's wives that's wearing things down at the beach that I'd be, I'd be ashamed you know, I just, I don't understand it. I'll be honest with you. I still believe in modesty. But, but I will tell you that people that sometimes get all caught up in following certain customs, traditions, rules, regulations in some of their areas of life, they think I have no problem with materialism because I don't wear jewelry. But yet, you can be materialistic in the car you drive or the house that you live in or how much money that you file away at the bank. Materialism isn't, isn't about having things. It's about things having you. It's about, and it's not even necessarily about money. It just means that you're so in tune with this material world that you're not thinking spiritually. Like me. I don't eat to live. I live to eat. Right? You can just get so in tune with the pleasures of the flesh. The, what is it? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all the things that are in this world, which is the lust and that. Listen. If you ever read lust, just put desire. It just means a strong desire. The desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, and the pride of life, all of that is not of the Father. It's of the world. To be materialistic is to be in tune with this to such an extent that it, that it dims what's really important. And Jesus talked to this, Luke Chapter 12, verse 16, 21, and I'm getting about ready to close. Then he spoke a parable of them saying, 
the ground of a certain man yielded plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? He said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you've provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Young people play a little game called Would You Rather. Have you ever, you ever heard of that game, Would You Rather? And, and when we went out to Texas here a while back, my little five-year-old nephew on Crystal's side, side he's, he's, a, uh, he's a little boy. His, his dad is a Hispanic, and, and uh, he has the most beautiful skin, beautiful dark hair, and the biggest dark brown eyes. He, he, he's, a, he's a sport now. He needs a spanking really, really bad. He needs a bunch of them. But he is a sport, but he wore me out asking, let's play Would You Rather. Would You Rather. It goes something like this. It's usually a nonsensical choice or something silly. It's something like, like would, would, you, you know, would you rather break your leg or eat a bowl full of mud? You know, it's something, it's something like that. You know, I mean, uh, it's usually... Uh, the, what's the least bad of two bad choices? Would you rather? And what we're talking about today is a, is a game of would you rather. Would you rather hold on to your life and the things of this life and lose the life that the Lord offers? Or would you rather let go of the things of this world and this life and seem to lose temporarily, but instead have what he has waiting for us. That's what we're talking about, is what, what are your druthers? What is your rather? So what kind of inspired this is, uh, I listened to an old song on YouTube, and then I went yesterday and sang it with Nana, and it, there's, there's a couple of songs here I'm going to share with you. I'm not going to sing them, so it's okay. But a couple of songs to share with you that I, that I used to go, I used to go all the time and play the guitar and sing with Nana and Papa at their house. And oh man, we'd have church. We'd, and they, I, I knew a lot of old songs because that's what we sung in church growing up. But they, they taught me some old songs I didn't even know. But some of them, but, but there's three songs here that are rather songs. And I, I'm going to just read them to you. We've got a little time. I'm going to read them to you, even, even some of the verses. Here's one. In this world, I've tried most everything, and I'm happy now to say, there's nothing like religion in the good old-fashioned way. I'm walking in the old-time way, and I want the world to know that I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. Anybody know that old song? There are many things I like to be as my journey I pursue. I long to be a leader as a mortal man would do. I'd like to be a millionaire with a million to bestow, but I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. 
All the world is bright since I got right, and I'll sing and pray and shout. All my burdens have been lifted since my Jesus brought me out. And I'll tell the world both far and near as I travel here below that I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. There's nothing like an old-time Christian with a Christian love to show. I'm walking in the grand old highway, and I'll tell it everywhere I go, that I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. Can you think back to a time in your life when you had a little less money, a little less property, a little less going, a little less security, but you had Jesus, and that was enough? Do you remember that? You remember those times when you were maligned or mistreated or misunderstood and you'd get it still away somewhere? You felt ostracized, isolated from the world and you'd steal away to a prayer closet and talk to Jesus and that was enough. How about this one? Men strive for the wealth of this wide, wicked world. They seek after honor and fame. So lavishly sporting their diamonds and pearls, they put the dear Savior to shame. I'd rather live in heaven than to own all earth's silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than the diamonds of a palace to hold. I'd rather be a beggar and live in a little shack by the road than to own all earth's treasures with no title to a future abode. Anybody remember that old song? Am I older than everybody in here? That's an old one. I know you know this one. This one's well known. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Wouldn't you? It's all right with me to be a biggest loser because those that lose their life will find them. Amen? Let's stand and sing that last one together, if you will. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hand. Than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today than to be 
the king of a vast domain and beheld in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Amen. Let's worship Him together. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we're so thankful, God, that we have You, O oh Lord. And that's enough, O oh God, that's enough. I'd rather have Jesus than anything, O oh God, that this old world affords, O oh Lord. I'd rather be an old-time Christian, Lord, than anything I know, oh God. Oh Lord, even if it means I'm a beggar in a shack side the road, Lord, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Amen.